Okay, welcome to the show. My name is Danny Cola. Today's guest is wellness coach, freelance writer, and the manager of political figure Candace Owens, Gina Florio. You specialize in strength and conditioning, kettlebell training, and the Edo Portal movement method. Your wellness coaching focuses on personal growth and development to build stronger, more centered individuals so we better serve our families and communities. You've been an editor and writer for mainstream media companies like Pop Sugar Fitness and Bustle. Your work has also been featured in Brooklyn Magazine, The Establishment, and Mind Body Green. You've been interviewed and featured on many podcasts like the Candace Owen Show and Real Talk with Zuby to speak about body positivity movement, the culture of victimhood in our society, and what the negative consequences are on this mentality and how we can overcome it. Gina Florio, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Danny. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is going to be so fun. I was looking forward to this all day. Um, so how, uh, how are you? How's everything going? I'm good. Things are good. I'm I, I'm having kind of a funny week though. I blew out my back on Monday. Uh oh. And I had to go to urgent care to get some meds because my back just completely went out. I have scoliosis, so sometimes my back will just kind of act up. And this is one of those weeks. I, this hasn't happened in like two years. Wow. But it happened on Monday. <laughs> well, I'm sorry so to hear that. A little bit different. No, it's okay. I'm I'm so much better now. They they had to give me some pretty strong meds, but you know it's it's been working. So feeling way better. I can walk around today, so that's a big win. Good. Good. Yeah. So I know you just moved from uh, San Francisco to Washington, D.C. Am I right? That's right. Yeah. Nice. So how has the move been? How has everything kind of been going for you? It's tough to really say what we think about D.C. because we came in January and mm. then we only had two months before the COVID lockdown. Mm. So the majority of the time that we've lived here, we've been on lockdown. So we haven't, we can't really say whether we like DC or not because it's just not, it's, yeah. it's, it's not normal out there. Such a weird time to, to move. And then nonetheless in like the heart of it all shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we were, I mean, there was a moment there when there were a lot of the George Floyd protests where I almost said to my husband, like, I think we need to get out of the city tonight because we don't live far from the craziness. So I right. was, Genuinely, I'm not exaggerating. I was genuinely scared that in the middle of the night, some crazy Antifa person would set fire to our building or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, for sure. There's just been so many crazy stories like that happening in these major cities. And we could, you know, we would go ride our bikes at like 5 p.m. right before the evening started. And we would just see everyone was starting to fill up, you know, all the Mm. protests starting to happen. And we could like feel the energy really rising. Um, So we we just, you didn't, we don't really know what they're going to do. So there was a moment there where we were scared to even be in the city, but then, you know, we stuck it out and we were fine. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds scary. Now, did you guys know anybody when you moved out there, or were you just like new job, new gig? I'm going out there, brand new. The only see, now that's my boss. See, now that's even scarier because now it's like nobody's like close to you. You feel kind of in a foreign place. Shit. Yeah, that was hard. That was really hard. I am. Um, you've probably heard me talk a lot about how happy I was to leave San Francisco just yeah. because that yeah. city is so crazy, and California is just yeah. I don't even know what they're doing anymore. Everyone's leaving. Um, yeah joe rogan when he leaves i mean it's like a big statement when he's you know he's about to move everything out right yeah and i don't know if you um know dave rubin yeah um there's a report i think they're thinking about moving too it's just you know all those places out there just they're drowning it's 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 impossible to run a business out there these days it's really interesting right and you know what this is a great kind of way to open up this conversation and what i heard you talk about what i've heard you talk about in podcasts is where you, you've had this kind of like political shift in the way you view things you know you were talking about how it started when you got into college 
and uh, college indoctrination of like these lefty ideologies. Um, and you're talking about this like awakening and kind of changing the way that you view things. Talk to me a little bit about that because I'm feeling the same way. <laughs> and I really, I, I'm, an, I'm, I'm a noob, like I explained to you with this left, right, with politics. I don't want to ever stray in areas that I'm not certain to talk about and that I don't know really well. But it just seems to me that, uh, you know, places like California, even in Illinois, it's just we're, we're drowning. It's, it's weird. It's a weird climate. People are very afraid. Mm. It's hard to run a business. Now you find your niche and things can be good. Um, but talk to me about your, your shift and, and how that started and, and where you're at currently. Yeah. I think in order to talk about that, I, I have to start a little bit at the beginning and, and say I was raised in Southern Georgia, right. um, in the Bible belt, you know, but growing up though, my, I, my parents were never like diehard Republicans, but they did lean conservative, just like most people, actually most people do in America, which is something that coastal cities tend to forget is that the majority of Americans are actually quite conservative. We are a very conservative country, especially compared to the UK um, and compared to a lot of Europe. Um, and so I grew up in a very um, all American kind of traditional upbringing. I lived in a small town um, and I was in the same school system from kindergarten to 12th grade. You know, and we lived mm -hmm. in this very small, small suburb outside of Savannah, Georgia. Um, and I think the population when I graduated in my, in my town was about 30,000. So it's a very small town. Yeah. Grew up at church every weekend. I was playing piano at church. I was participating in church plays and stuff. And, you know, going to school, everyone sort of went to school together and then went to church together. So that was my upbringing. Um, and I mean, of course, you can probably tell I'm not white. Um, my mom is Korean. My dad is Italian. And, you know, I got teased a couple times because I looked different as a kid, um, which I think is just normal for kids to do. Totally. If a kid is too tall, too short, if a kid is fat, if a kid has a funny nose, they find whatever is different and they tease Human nature. This is, how we, this is how we develop skills. This is how we interact and learn about one another, you know? Yeah, this is how we really interact with the world. It's just a natural human instinct. Um, but when I got to college, uh, you know, I worked so hard to, to get to a good school and my parents uh, did so much for me. They sacrificed a ton for me to be able to study a lot. And they still pushed me to work when I was a teenager. I had my own little piano teaching school when I was 14. I was teaching. Ah, that's awesome. So my parents were really supportive and always telling me to like go for things and, and, and work hard. So when I got to college, things sort of changed because I was suddenly introduced with this new outlook on the world. And, and I always tell the story because it really paints the picture of what college can be like. Um, so you have the option. I went to Emory and I'm sure many other schools, you have the option to sign up for some kind of pre orientation activity, like a camp or mm -hmm. whatever. So you can go to campus early and meet people before orientation. Um, so I chose to do a program like that. And I think it was called, um, it was something, something about diversity. It was a diversity program. Diversity, and inclusion, sounds, and equality. Yeah, something like that, you know, some sort of like affirmative statement about diversity. Mm -hmm. And I was really drawn to that because there were not many kids in my school who were not black or not white. You know, that area of Georgia is a lot, you know, a lot of black people, a lot of white people, they sort of half and half. That's mm -hmm. actually the statistics. I think in Savannah, it's 56% black people. But when I was growing up in that small town, there weren't many Asian people. There were a couple of Indian kids, but we were kind of few and far between. So I, this idea of diversity was so interesting to me. And I signed up for it because I thought that it would be a full week of learning about different cultures maybe learning how to cook different foods, um, just kind of learning about the diversity of the world and how we bring that together on campus. It turned out to be something totally different. <laughs> 
we um we ended up playing this game called the race game yeah and um it was really this thing where you you stood in the back of an auditorium and everyone held hands and we had two rules don't speak and hold on to the person's hand as long as you can and but if you need to let go you let go so um then the the moderator started reading these statements out statements like um, if you have to travel 30 minutes or more to find a hairdresser that can do your hair, take one step back. Um, another one is if your parent, if your parents didn't go to college, sorry, my dog. No, you're good. My dogs are around too. This is good. My dog's crazy. <laughs> is there any way you could take her inside? Here? I'm so sorry. It's okay. Yeah. No, no worries. This is like, I, I'm, I'm listening to the, the story. This is great. Don't even, don't even okay. sweat it at okay. all. I, and I'll tell you too, I've been definitely a part of these games, just like kind of always being in leadership roles where you go to these kind of gatherings where you're meeting people and it's just one way to kind of engage and see yeah. the differences and all this stuff. But anyway, continue. I know where this is going. Yeah. So, and then they, they read the next statement, if your parents didn't go to college, take two steps back. And so I found myself taking like steps back and steps back because I mean, you know, my parents didn't go to college. My dad was working class until I was probably in middle school and then he became yeah. a manager. Like I come from like very American backgrounds, like very yeah. middle class, but I never thought of myself as someone who was oppressed. I mean, I truly did it. And so in this game, I kept taking two steps back. It's like, if your parents helped you um, with your calculus, take one step or take one step forward or whatever. And so next thing I know, everyone has to let go of each other's hands, right? Mm, right. You've got a lot of people in the back. You have a lot of people in the front. And then the moderator asks you to look around the room, right? See who's in front. Like who's closer to the front? And it was like a lot of white kids. Mm -hmm. And who's closer to the back? A lot of the minorities. Oh, and, um, and then the moderator said, now run forward and touch the wall. And it was a very awkward moment because people in the back were actually trying to run. People in the front felt bad that they were in the front, so they didn't run to the wall. And so after that, we sat and we talked about our feelings for about two hours. Super awkward. It's so awkward. So this is what the, the entire program was like. Mind you, I say this, this is really important. This was the first week before I even went into college. Yeah. This is before orientation even started. And so now we have all of these, um, you know, diversity inclusivity officers who work at the university and like the Dean of students was there and they were like telling stories. People were like crying because I don't know, some, something happened in the past. I mean, somebody said something racist mm. to them or whatever. Mm. And that was the introduction I had to higher education. And then yeah. from there, you can imagine it would just snowball out of control. Totally. Like I remember going when I first started college and you know, we're the same age. I started college a little bit later on just cause I took a couple of years off, but I remember not knowing what to expect. So like a class like that, I just be like, ah, or like an, even just a, a meeting like that where we, we did this. I'm just like, Oh, it's just part of the shit, the curriculum, I guess, part of what we're doing. And if you're not inclined to ask these higher level questions, like what is this for? How is this going to impact us? What, like, what is the, the intention here? What are we, what, what are we trying to resolve from showing us all this? Right. And uh, how do we take this information and utilize it to, to move forward? How's this information going to help us engage on campus? How are we going to create, how are we going to co-create something here from this? Are we going to leave with positive feelings? Or are we going to leave feeling like, Oh shit, I feel bad about myself. And I should feel shitty because I've, you know, I've been handed this card or I would feel shitty because I've been handed this card with I, you know, we're all different. We all come from a different, different place, but yeah. Like what does it accomplish? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why it's one of the reasons why I wanted to leave academia after I was done, because it occurred to me that everyone was just sitting around talking about theory. We were just kind of like talking about 
um, you know, theorizing things and politicizing things, but we weren't actually going out and doing anything about it. Mm. And that's when I, I ended up going to graduate school after college and, you know, graduate school in a sense was even worse because the level of, of, of left, leftist indoctrination and oh, the level of identity politics really like kicked it up the next notch in graduate yeah. school. Yeah. So you went to Harvard. Talk to me a little bit about that. Cause I heard you speaking with Candace about how, when, when Candace went over there to ask these questions or even maybe not just Harvard, but like uh, you see, LA and you know these other schools that are you know supposed to be high level they're asking really odd questions yeah. and so talk to me about like some of the the programs set up there like yeah. I know we were, were talking about how you know they just throw in these types of race you know, conversations um, yeah. but anyway go, go ahead and talk to me about how like some of these things are structured and how they get people to join these groups yeah you know that's a great question um, so it's funny because I will say this, I noticed this actually at a Candace Owens event. When I was living in San Francisco, I went to UC Berkeley because I knew Candace and Dave Rubin and Charlie Kirk were going to be there. And I listened to the Q&A section and I couldn't believe, this sounds bad, but I could not believe how idiotic the questions were coming mm. from Ivy League students. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I look at, I watched every single question and I thought to myself, you guys have no idea how the economy works. Can you give me a couple of examples of some of those sure. questions? Yeah. So here's a great example. Um, you know, Charlie and Candace were talking a lot about immigration and how immigration is a really big deal to a lot of Americans. And of course, UC Berkeley is the kind of place where, you know, they want, op they literally want open borders with no consequences. And so this kid grabs a microphone and he goes, well, you guys are all about the free market, right? You guys are all about the business. He was like, well, then why don't you let in all the Mexicans? You want more competition, right? And I was like, do you, I was like, do you understand how that works? What you're talking about? Like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. And just to come out, come off like that is already just a flag. <laughs> yeah. And the way that they ask questions, it's like they, they ask questions as if they don't, they don't understand history and they don't understand what has actually happened. For example, in a lot of socialist countries, they talk about socialism as if they have no understanding of it because they don't, because they actually think in college that socialism means that you just take the money from the rich people and you just give it to everyone else. And the rich people are still rich and everything else is fine. You know, and they, re they are really bred to believe that capitalism is evil, which is interesting. The word capitalism is interesting because Karl Marx, the, the author of the Communist Manifesto, mm -hmm. he actually started the term capitalism, when in fact, capitalism is the free market. And the free market is an ep economic system that was not designed. It wasn't created. It was discovered which is such an interesting thing about mm. the free market versus a socialist economy. So, you know, that's why these kids are bred to think about capitalism as evil because they read all the socialists and, and the communist um, documents. They read all the textbooks. They are assigned all of these very leftist leaning um, mm. books and textbooks to read. And, and this is how they get indoctrinated because these statistics matter. So if you look at all the top Ivy League schools, if you look at all the top programs, it's something like 70 to 80% of the professors are liberal. Mm. And like, I think there was one department where it was like 5% of the professors were conservative. Now I'm not saying that we need to have an, a conservative or right wing faculty. But what I'm saying is that how are we not, how are we not looking at this and saying, this is not right. There's something off right. here, especially when you compare it, like I said earlier, to the overall population of America, America leans conservative. That is something that people don't want to admit. People in coastal cities like San Francisco, LA, Atlanta, Miami, New York, DC, like we want to think that the rest of the country is like what we see every day. Wake up people, the majority of America is conservative. So it, it makes even less sense when you look at higher education, why does not that reflect what America looks like? Why is that? Mm. 
why is it that higher education leans very, very, very much to the left, while the majority of Americans actually lean right? So th that's a question that nobody is willing to ask. It's a question that people are afraid to approach because it's politically incorrect. And, and they mm. don't want to admit that the majority of Americans are actually pro-life. The majority of Americans are actually, you know, they want a smaller government. They, they're very conservative and they, they believe very strongly in religious liberty as well. So it's just, you know, that's why these kids, they get so caught up in this leftist ideology because the vast majority of professors that they will ever meet, they're all liberal. Mm. And, you know, what is, do you think it's a problem that some of these professors have been in the industry for too long and they're just kind of doing the same type of research and thinking while being in the same town and in the same place year after year, decade after decade without other types of influences and experiences kind of coming across their table? And then they're doing research for the, the school and then they're taking yeah. that information and spewing it all through their kids and, and it's just bias. And then this young group of kids comes out and we have kind of what we have now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's a really great question because it does have a lot to do with the fact that professors, especially tenured professors are highly protected by the university and yeah. the university, it, I forgot who used to say, I think Michael Knowles said this. He's one of the Daily Wire guys. I love his podcast. He's great. Very funny guy. But he said that it used to be in university the faculty, like the deans of the school, they would play like the role of adults. Mm. And then the professors were kind of like the wacky liberal professors that the deans had to kind of whip into shape, right? And then the students were just, you know, the students. But now it's become that the deans and, and the faculty of the school are just as radicalized and just as leftist as the professors. So Michael Knowles says that it's almost like that you know the crazy people have broken out of the asylum and now the crazy people are running the asylum. Mm. And so and so now that you've got all the faculty and all these professors who are tenured and they're just, you know, they just can't get fired from their job. Yeah. And then you end up with this, you know what happens when you you put you know something small in a small space. Like if you put a lot of people in a small space, like that energy starts to get it starts oh, yeah. to be the same, you know? That's where yeah. I think really comes from. Oh yeah, I uh, I experienced that. So when we spoke last, I was a high school teacher. And, uh, there's I didn't a, know that. What did you teach? I taught PE health and driver's ed. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was very much involved in like this corporate academic environment where there was a bunch of teachers involved in a school that were all tenured and they couldn't get fired, you know, unless they did something completely, you know, bad. But anyway, they, they, they're protected. They can't get fired. So there's a lot of just like yelling at each other, talking shit. It's just very toxic. And I bounced around from school to school because I felt like I couldn't find my home. But I also felt like I couldn't say things and do things that I wanted to do outside my job. And like when I had the podcast and I wanted to talk about things like psychedelics or alternative methods of healing and some of this esoteric kind of information, I would always second guess myself and I felt a little suppressed and I was like, am I going to get fired? You know, like is someone going to see this, but I really felt called to have conversations like this with people like you. Um, so I, uh, I decided to, well, I guess academia decided not to keep me any longer because I, I just would disagree with people and how we did things. Like, for example, we had really shitty protocols when it came to fitness assessments and how we held the kids accountable. Like it just kind of went out the window and I just kept asking like, what are we doing here? Are we providing a service to these kids? Are we getting better? Or are we just trying to collect a paycheck? Like, what are we doing? So anyway, my, my point is like, 
I stopped that and now I started to develop my own lane where I'm teaching fitness, very similar to what, to what you're doing. And I'm, I'm finding my niche and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a good teacher because I connect with people really well and I find the good, I find the bad, I find how to connect and I find ways to uh, keep the growth going. You know, it's something that I'm very, very passionate about anyway. So I find my way and I'm keep continuing finding my way and it keeps growing with my own business and finding my own ways of revenue in this free market. And I'm learning so much about myself. I'm learning to speak my truth. I'm learning to keep going. I'm learning to be resilient. I'm learning to take risks and take chances. That's found me closer to like a spiritual connection. I'm seeing what this free market can do for me and my family. Uh, I'm seeing all this weird stuff from academics. I'm seeing all this weird stuff from politics. I'm seeing all this weird stuff on how people act in their corporate job and all these weird protocols that don't make any sense and, we, and I'm wondering why everyone's sick and and I'm wondering why like you know, people are arguing and we feel dis more disconnected than ever so like through that I've had these different ideologies about this country and I would hate to see us slip away closer to that like communistic approach of living where everything is like you know uh what do they say Jordan Peter says uh, uh, opportunity of outcome or the the outcome is equal for everybody. Equality yeah, of outcome. Equal, right, exactly. You know, it's just like you got to you gotta find yourself. You got to develop your skills. You got to take responsibility for yourself. And through that process, I feel like I've developed more conservative views. Like I have a yeah. stronger connection to faith, you know. Um, yeah. Like I said, I feel a little bit more uh, inclined to have my, you know, my rights, the, the, the freedoms that I have so that I can continue living my life and providing my family and then building a community that's actually sustainable and where we can, you know, like I said, co-create, uh, and build things extravagantly and like really keep digging deep and seeing what the vastness of consciousness is. And I feel like the majority of us just scratch the surface. Yeah. You hit on so many, so yeah, many. I'm sorry. I can there. tangent there. <laughs> No, that was really great because I think that one thing that came to my mind where you're saying that is that just the very American founding principles is it, it's really so George Washington talked a lot about economic rights and um, economic rights are actually the primary goal of the Constitution and they were the primary goal of the founding of America. So that's why when I hear people who are entrepreneurs, people who can run their own businesses, who are finding new ways to create revenue for themselves, it just, it makes me feel so patriotic because yeah. people, a lot of people don't realize this, but America's number one founding principle was, was um, economic freedom and economic autonomy. Mm. And George Washington said, you know, in the 1760s, he said that Great Britain has no more of a right to reach into my pockets than I have a right to reach into yours. You know, and so th the early founding fathers talked a lot about property rights and this idea that what I earn is mine. And there's pride in that and there's yeah. motivation in that. And Abraham Lincoln later on in one of his speeches, he attributed um, the economic prosperity of America to the fact that you can, you can own a patent here. You know, we have actually made that to where whatever you create is yours and that gives entrepreneurs and inventors so much motivation or in, you know, an economist would say it gives them incentives because economists know that human beings run on incentives. That's what yeah. we're built on. Yeah. So we respond to, to whatever incentives are presented to us. And so that's why I think it's, it's really exciting to see our generation become more entrepreneurial and really learn to create something for ourselves rather than rely on the classic steady nine to five job that our parents generation needed and that they, they wanted for us. But there's a lot of that still. There's a lot of that. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are apprehensive to leave their cozy job and challenge 
the, you know, whatever their employers want from them. Like there's a lot of fear within corporations as well. It's like, dude, we got to do this now to keep our jobs. We got to do this now to keep our job. Who knows what type of technology comes out and say, Hey, tomorrow we got to lay off 30% of you. It happens all the time. Happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's a scary thing. And, and people, you know, it, it's still scary for people to kind of get out of that security because mm-hmm. you just never know what's waiting on the other side. If you, you know, try something on your own, Yeah. but it's, it's super exciting to see so many people who are willing to go out there and just do their thing. And, yeah. um, it, you know, it always brings me back to America's founding principles. And, and it's just that the, the economic integrity the economic autonomy that we, that we have is because the founding fathers said that economic rights were just as important as civil rights. Yeah. And that's really what sets America apart from any other country is that from, from day one, from the very, very beginning, we emphasize property rights and we emphasize owning what is ours, what is earned by us. And I think that's why, that's why we're in the middle of the, almost civil war that we're in right now because socialism and communism literally is at odds with the founding of America, you know, and people will try to spin the founding of America to say that it was based on slavery. That's it's total hogwash. Not to say that anyone, you know, not to at all justify slavery, but that was, that was a sin of the time. And America was not founded on that. And there's no proof that it is. There's much more proof. If you read all the pamphlets, if you read the founding father documents that we were built on economic rights and civil rights. And, um, um, yeah, I think it's, that's why it's so important to understand the founding of America, because then you really understand why there's so many of us who are fighting against socialism, because it really is, it's fundamentally, it, it disrupts what the founding of America was. And, and socialism is all about taking what's not yours and then giving it to someone else. And there's nothing just about that. And there's nothing American about that. Yeah, let's, uh, let's be clear that so that ideology is what woke left ideology is. It's this socialistic mentality, take from the rich, give and distribute to everybody else and everything's going to be okay. But it's, it's not like that at all. At yeah, all. yeah, yeah. It's not. I mean, and so, so another example, so a communist regime, right, which mm-hmm. pretty much every socialist economy has turned into a communist regime is that you are not allowed to defer to a higher power than the state. You, so forget freedom of religion. The highest power in a socialist communist regime is the head of the state, the person. Mm. That's, the, that's the last authority that you're allowed to defer to. Parents have no say what their kids learn in school. Zero. It all, it's all run by the state. Everything is rationed by the state. And it's just- That doesn't really, sound very good. I, I know, right? And, and this is the thing is that when you think about socialism in like the, um, you know, the popular terms, it sounds like a fantasy because it is. Yeah. There's no such thing as a utopia where you can just get money every month and the economy just works the same. And this is what so many kids miss out on. They just don't understand how the economy actually works. Yeah. Very well said. It's very interesting, man. Like, you know, like I said, like I'm finding my way building my own business, you know, starting, starting a gym, building, a, giving a service to people. And like I said, through this process, it's just, uh, it's very eye opening. And I also think it's extremely healthy. Like I've mm. never felt healthier in my life. Not, I mean, I, I, I exercise, I do all this, I preach this, and I get it. But like, I feel so good doing something of value to people. Cause that is, is something that, that I think, uh, I mean, it's really important. And, and when someone does these corporate jobs, not to say that they, they probably don't feel value, but there's something about like being designated a time where you ha- have to do this shit that you don't necessarily want to do. And someone's yeah. watching over you and like that costs you energy subconsciously. It and sucks that, it out of you. Yeah. And that robs you of your creativity. That yeah. robs you of your recovery. That robs you of your healing. And um, 
like you need that energy, I think, to explore the depth of consciousness. And, and, and we're given this gift. And, um, you know, uh, that's why I do the work that I do. And in this weird time where everyone's preaching six feet and wear the masks and sanitize your hands, nobody is talking about the things that you can do to build a strong immune system so that this virus doesn't fucking stand a chance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just nobody, I mean, nobody, t- nobody really is, is spewing that information. And, um, I don't know. I'm just, that, yeah, that, it's, that makes me sad. It's really tough to see because with this, you know, with the COVID shutdown and the outbreak, it's like, we still are not hearing any information from mainstream media on how to protect ourselves against a virus, yeah. how to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Let's talk about mainstream media. Cause I, I know that you've worked in the media and I know part of the reason of why you're, you're thinking the, this way now is because of the negative experience you had with the media. So talk to me a little bit about that and fake news and yeah. like, let's educate the people on, on the fact that the media isn't necessarily always the truth. Yeah. Far from it. Far from it. I, I started working in media as a freelance writer, I believe it was 2013 or 14. Um, and for a while there, I was just freelancing, but it got pretty quickly. It developed to the point where they, um, they would give me like a set of articles to write per week and then I would just write them out. And so that's when I started to learn a little bit more about how these websites create content, how they deliver it. Um, and then I got, you know, a little bit deeper into mainstream media, a little bit deeper. And I was always a, a writer and I enjoyed writing, but I, I knew that I didn't want to be like a writer and editor for the rest of my life. It was just honestly something, it was the work that I needed to do while I was traveling overseas just to kind yeah. of make money at the time. Yeah. So I wasn't passionate about it, but I did it. And um, next thing I know, as I was moving back to the States, I was a full-time editor. And then when I lived in San Francisco, I was a full-time editor as well. So I really saw what happens in these newsrooms. And the number one thing I'll say is that the way that these companies create content is completely backwards from the way that you would expect it to be created. So for example, when you imagine a newsroom, like when you imagine all the stories, probably when you were a kid, you remember your parents like picking up the newspaper and flipping mm-hmm. through the stories, like what's happening today, New York mm-hmm. Times, Wall Street journals, whatever. And um, but now there's a new media that has replaced that establishment, the sort of established CNN, ABC, MSNBC. Now our generation, the way that we consume news is through lifestyle and news hybrid websites, BuzzFeed, Bustle, Teen Vogue. Now even Men's Health is more considered mm-hmm. like that. Um, Pop Sugar. These are all the heavy hitters, heavy, heavy hitters. And what I mean by that is they generate much, much more traffic than New York Times and Wall Street Journal ever will. I mean, this is the new media that has really taken over because these companies have, have of course learned that our, our American Americans are very used to like, I, I want it now culture, right? I want mm-hmm. it all. I want it now. So they have made their, themselves a one-stop shop for everything you want to learn. You want to hear about celebrities. Great. Entertainment. You're here. You want to hear about the news and culture. You're here too. You about fitness, beauty, health, like all the verticals. So that's how w- this has created a new media machine. Of course, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, um, CBS, all those channels and news networks, like they still have their news and they still have their networks, but the number of views and clicks and views they get compared to these lifestyle websites is like, is nothing. So, you know, when we're talking about the media, it's really important to identify who the heavy hitters are because these are the ones who have the biggest impact. They reach millions and millions and millions of homes every single day. And most of them are our generation, maybe even a little bit older and definitely a little bit younger too. So the way that these media companies make content is that everything is based on clicks and views because how do they make money? They make money by brands purchasing advertisements on their page. 
right? So their primary goal, no matter what, is to get as many clicks and views as possible because that means more advertisements are purchased on their page, which already is a very different is a very different um, setup than how the classic New York Times used to make money, right? They used to actually, back in the day, journalism was actually um, uncovering stories and bringing stories to the public that would generate interest, right? Now it's just about what's going to get you clicks and views. And so from there, they have to create content in order to generate more traffic. So the way that we would create an article is we would sit down we think of a topic and then we would choose the headline first mm. before we talk about the facts or the information or the interviews. We would talk about what is the headline that is going to grab the most attention and make them click on this. Like what, what is that going to be? So the question has completely changed from what is the best information, the most useful information for Americans today? And it's turned into what is the most sensational information we can give them that's going to make them click on it? Because I promise you all the things, all the, all these media companies, the only thing they care about is making money and generating clicks and views. They don't so care about the well-being of people. Yeah, they have, they, have no, they have no care about, you know, what you learn or how you live your life. They just want you to click and they just want you to watch. And it becomes a very toxic thing because then you have these editors and you have, you know, people sitting in the boardroom and they just list out all of these trendy topics that they want their writers to write about. And then each writer just gets a list at the beginning of each week, write about cultural appropriation, write about intersectional feminism, write about body positivity. And you're just assigned things. doesn't matter if you believe in them. doesn't matter if you agree with them. You're just assigned every single leftist um, talking point that you can possibly think of LGBT, you know, LGBT rights, all that stuff. They're all assigned. So you have all these young writers that are plucked right out of college. They're willing to write something for like $25 an article, like 50 bucks an article to write some, whatever leftist talking point that the publication assigns to them. And that's how they generate a ton of content. So it's in, in today's media age. It's about quantity over quality. Mm. They don't really care about the quality as much. They want quantity. They want these young writers who can pump out like seven to 10 articles a week and just hit all the SEOs and just hit all the sensational topics because that's how they generate all their money. Mm. It's a really scary thing. Yeah. Do I mean, okay. So like they get these kids that don't have anything else. I mean, they're trying, they're, they're trying to make their way, right? They're trying to make their money. They're trying to make a name for themselves, move their way up the ladder, yeah. whatever it is. I mean, I saw it in, in academia too, like people just wanted to be assistant principal and dean and then work their way up to the principal. And, you know, pretty soon, you know, teachers that I knew that had three, four years experience were principals already. And I'm like, wow. what, what, what the, what's going on? <laughs> Whoa. What, what kind of change are we making? And then they say they want innovation. They say they want new ideas. They say they want, you know, uh, nuance. But the second you try to like ask questions, the second they're like, no, bro. So like I can see the same thing with these writers. It's like, wait a minute, I don't feel strongly about this. You know, I grew up very much like you. And, I, and because of that, like I have very like good values. I, get, I have very good parents. I always I was a good kid. Like I spoke, I speak the truth. I never got in trouble, you know. I never drank or did anything, you know, growing up. And then, you know, at 26 years old, you start smoking weed and then boom, you know, like <laughs> – not that it, that weed does it all, and, and <laughs> but but anyway, my my point being, like I'm a, I'm a straight edge guy, and um, I speak the truth, and I was always taught to ask questions and be honest and do what's best interest for the kids that I'm teaching, right? Like I mm. want to teach them valuable information. Not that I want them to be excited to come to the class. I want them to be eager to learn. And whatever environment we got going on here is not it. 
So how do we change it? And the teachers and my admin, my admin, my bosses, they didn't want to hear this. They knew, they knew this. They're just collecting their checks. They just, you know, and I could imagine it's the same thing with the writers. They're just doing their thing, even though they may not believe in it. They want to get the clicks. They want to keep getting hired. And and, and this vicious cycle continues. But Gina, how the hell do we stop it? How do we, like, how do we put out, like, and this is why we're talking, right? So that we can take, you know, tidbits of this, put out quality pieces of information to help you know, educate and put out alternative media so that we can put out truth. Fuck. Like from experienced human beings that are trying to help better humanity. Like you were in the industry that pump out all this content that's not in the best interest of people. That's only in it for clicks and likes. And now you're not. And we're talking about it and why that's toxic. And, you know, hopefully it, it puts out some positive message, I guess. We get one, we win. Yeah. I mean, I I do hope that I think we're now in a time this year, especially we've seen how much the media really does lie. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, for example, during, I don't know if you saw the story, but this was right when the COVID shutdown happened. I think it was in April, the the governor of Connecticut, he got on, on stage at a press conference and he made this big announcement that Connecticut had their first COVID related infant death. And he tweeted, he made a big tweet and he said, we're so sorry to, to inform you that, um, we that our state has just had our first infant death from due to COVID or something. So it turns out, I mean, actually, Candace started investigating into this because Connecticut's her home state. And she she really wanted to know because the language around the child's death was vague. It's like the child, the child's death was linked to COVID, mm. linked to COVID. This was the true story. Uh, a drug addict mother accidentally smothered her baby. And that's how the baby died. But due to mandatory post-mortem testing, the baby happened to test positive for COVID and the media ran with it and they said it was a COVID-related infant death. Jesus Christ. And this is what scares the shit out of people. This is, I mean, it was shocking to see that happen. It was absolutely shocking. And so that's just one example of how the media just lies over and over and over again. Yeah, this has to happen hundreds of thousands of times over the nation like in all these different states and it's really sad. It's just like, and I, I, I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm aggressive, but I'm passionate. And like, I, I want to speak my truth, but at the same time I want to keep and maintain my relationships and also like do this in a nonviolent way. I think it's very important to communicate in a nonviolent manner. Um, you know, and just know that we can coexist even though we might have different opinions and, and, and that, but like the people, people that I, work with and trust and, and love they really trust the media and for right reasons because like the media has been there and that's the only thing that we've had or the tv or the news but like we can't i feel like it gets us into trouble like it's changing i i get afraid because it's changing this the dynamic of how people interact with each other and i'm i'm paying yeah. attention to it on the street and like I, Yes, there's a, I have a lot of good interactions, but it's, it makes me afraid when, when I know that kids are going back to school and they have to have masks on and we rely so much subconsciously on facial recognition and you know how that impacts the way I feel about myself because Gina's looking at me and she's smiling and vice versa. And, and my teacher, if they're like telling me something good and, and, and all that, like that is so much on the kids' development, but that is one way that we're going to take that away from them. That's definitely, yeah. you know, and like, there's, I just, I, I get afraid because it's like, it's so weird. People just jump to conclusions and everyone's afraid to get sued and everyone's afraid to, to speak out and, and principals and, and superintendents, they got their hands tied and they got to listen to the parents. And uh, it's just, it's just a mess. 
Yeah. And I saw this, I saw this little clip of a, um, a boy, he must've been eight or nine years old. And he was on his, he was on a computer, like doing Skype for class and he had fallen, just fallen asleep in his chair, just like completely passed out. And I thought it was just so sad that like, that is now, that's now what we're doing to children is that we're forcing them to learn from their kitchen counter at home and sit in a chair all day for eight hours and just stare at the screen. It's just like, it's so terrible for children. And I just, I can't believe that we're now in, in a world where we're telling our kids not to go outside or not to breathe the fresh air and to wear a mask all the time. And it's just, I I keep asking myself, like, are we in some sort of like dystopian novel? What is going on here? Why are we all falling for this? Yeah. I mean, of course COVID is not a hoax, but let's not forget that the survival rate is 99.97%. Right. And that the cases among children have been few to none, and that the average age of death from COVID is 82 years old, which is above the life expectancy year in, in right. America, which is like right. 78 or something. So it's just, I mean, you probably witnessed this too. It's just, there's so much of a political play going on right now yeah. that they're, they're weaponizing COVID in order to shut down the, the economy and just create right. the worst possible situation for Trump. And it's just so disappointing to watch it all unfold. Yeah, I, obviously. So do you feel very strongly that this, do you feel like this is because of the election and Trump and all the things going on and voting and it's, it's, a, we, it's a weapon against Trump and their, and their party? Yeah. And the re- another reason why, you know, I've, I've come to that conclusion is because the more and more you look at the hospital records and I forgot which woman this was, but I have a video where they literally admit that they count a death as a COVID death if you happen to have COVID during postmortem testing. So people who are dying from car accidents, people who are dying from a heart attack, people who are dying from cancer, totally unrelated causes from COVID, someone who, you know, even someone who's murdered, like if they happen to test positive for COVID in the mandatory postmortem testing, then they're counted as COVID deaths. Yeah. Which is so unethical and so insane. And yeah. why do the hospitals do this? A lot of people don't know this, but in the CARES Act, there's a clause that hospitals can get 15% more funding or whatever the percentage right. is for new death of COVID. Right. So they're over-reporting deaths in order to get more funding from the government. And it's just, you watch it all. And, and there is just no way to possibly look at this and say that there's not something political going on here. Of course For sure. For sure. And then the testing, the NCPCR testing, you know, I have a handful of friends who work in biochemics and they talk about how that test isn't a reliable test to test for a, a actual live virus or disease. It's supposed to be, it was supposed to be used in um, like, what am I talking about? It's supposed to be used in um, like lab work. It's not supposed mm-hmm. to be used to diagnose uh, a virus. So like this is other shit too, that n- nobody wants to talk about, or, you know, I'm not super knowledgeable in that regard. So I'm not going to like use it to rebuttal, but it is a question to be like, it's not even, testing for COVID. It's testing for something else and it's not reliable. So like, and then not a lot of people are dying and they're using this when other people are dying of other things to count. And then we use the fact that, oh, Florida's got a spike and this has got a spike and we can't travel and we got to close this down. It's just like, what? What? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's so weird. And I don't know if you watched that whole thing unfold with um, this doctor for, I mean, she's American now, but she was from Cameroon in Africa and she, she came to the white house to DC with a few other doctors, a few other practicing physicians who have had a lot of success with hydroxychloroquine with their mm-hmm. patients, with their yeah. COVID patients. 
And this woman stood in front at this press conference and she said, I have cured upwards of 300 patients personally with hydroxychloroquine and it's worked for over 300 patients. And you're telling me that it's illegal for me to use hydroxychloroquine or even talk about it on social media. They got kicked yeah. off of Twitter and social media because they were talking about their personal professional experience with treating COVID with hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. Like, what are, are you telling me that fucking Jack Dorsey it knows more about COVID and hydroxychloroquine than this Dr. Sella Emanuel who's been practicing for years and years and he's just going to let he's going to let Twitter just block them off yeah. just ban them kick PragerU off of Twitter because they dared to share a video of a practicing physician right. who has cured over 300 patients with hydroxychloroquine now there's something very twisted and sick about that and of course I'm not saying that we should treat all the country with hydroxychloroquine but if they're practicing physicians many of them who have had the same experiences why are we not privy of hearing that why why can't we li at least listen to that what is it about you know twitter and facebook and instagram that it's just not allowed to be up there it's just it's it's censoring of the highest kind which is why i say places like twitter and instagram they're not platforms anymore they're publishers because they mm. curate content through independent fact checkers and i don't know if you've heard this story but independent fact checkers like we traced facebook's independent fact tracker fact checker. You know who it is? It's just one guy who used to work for CNN for 25 years. And it's one guy doing all that work. And he's the, he's the, he's the independent fact checker. He leads the group. And apparently like he's the one who, who's in charge. I'm like, what are you talking about? This fact checker was, was created in 2017. Oh, shockingly right after Trump was elected. And now this person who is a left, who was a leftist journalist for 25 years is now controlling the information and, and the details that are being released on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And it's just, it's disgusting. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's so it's getting weird. crazy so then, out there. And, and that's why. I, no, I don't want to no, cut ahead. you off. I was just <laughs> going to say, that's why I think 2020 is the year where people are really waking up to the media's lies because there's just been so many different lies this year. I mean, even down to like Breonna Taylor's murder in Atlanta, they, you know, the way that they framed the whole story, they said that the cops just broke into this innocent woman's house and shot her dead when the story is actually that Breonna Taylor was smuggling drugs into her house for her boyfriend, who was a drug dealer. The cops were watching them. The cops watched Brianna and her boyfriend bring in the drugs to her house and hide them. They had a no-knock search warrant. They knocked, nobody answered. The boyfriend in the house opened fire on the police officers and they fired back and she died in the crossfire. And then this is the kind of information that kind of just gets- missed. And it just gets swept to the side. All you hear is that racist white police officers killed an innocent black woman when the incident had nothing to do with race. So I think this is why 2020 is a year where a lot of people are really waking up to the lies of the media. Yeah. Well, I, you listen to a lot of Paul Czech. I, I, I used to, I don't anymore, but I love Paul him. Czech. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. He talks he's about great. how tw 2020 is like, uh, the numerology symbolism through it is two zero two zero is the mirror. And it is, we're basically seeing our reflection, our collective internal reflection on what's happening right now. And, um, I don't know. It's just, it's a really interesting, uh, observation with the whole, uh, 2020 thing, but you know, yeah, you're right. I think a lot of this stuff is kind of hitting the fan and it's showing our true colors. And, uh, it's just to me sad, but it is nonetheless sad. has to happen in order for things to change. And I, I do feel optimistic at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about all this like weird stuff that's happening, but I really do feel that, um, there is a lot of good to happen from all this and there are silver, silver linings. And I feel like 
this is maybe the start where education does become reformed and, you know, and I don't know, other things, environmentally, economically, politically, things start to morph a little bit to where there is more truth that's shared for the betterment of people so that we can co-create something nice as opposed to this fear installation, this, uh, you know, these tactics to make people, uh, to make, make people's nervous systems fire, you know, yeah. and keep them unhealthy. And, um, that, I guess that scares me, but again, at the end of the day, I do feel, uh, optimistic. I do too. I always like to, to think of it as the glass half full because I, I'm especially optimistic about Gen Z, the generation, right? Um, really? Younger than us. I'm, I'm becoming more and more optimistic about them because they, they're very countercultural. They're not afraid to push back against political correctness and mm. the intersectional leftist ideology. They, um, they're, they're really bold. And I like that about Gen Z. And I think, you know, a lot of that has to do with the rise of Turning Point and Charlie Kirk. Like he's created this machine of an organization that's on all these college campuses, which has inspired a lot of independents or conservatives or libertarians at college to stand up and, and speak about what they believe in. Because now it's almost like if you're not a leftist socialist on college campus, you're going to get bullied. Um, Candace just did this interview with this kid who finished his freshman year at Trinity College, which is the same college that Tucker Carlson went to. And he was bullied and harassed to such a degree that he, ended, he had to leave the school. And I'm talking about these people were creating fake Instagram accounts with his name that were actual white supremacist accounts. Mm. And they were saying these heinous, racist, white supremacist things as if they were Nick, right? As if Nick was this white supremacist secretly going around online and saying all these things. And I mean, it just, the, it, the bullying got to the point where he couldn't even, he was like, why am I even here? I was like, why would I even go to the school anymore? And, and, and that's why I think it's so important to see a lot of these younger kids stepping up and being like, hey, we do believe something different. We're not all of you know we're not all yeah, the same group. i agree i have many many students in that you know obviously gen z category and even the young ones coming up they're so charismatic and there's so much good that i see in a lot of them um and i'm, I'm eager to work with them too as a coach you know and, and to kind of develop uh idea I, I, not i want them to really have this this brain up here that's working for themselves they're thinking constantly what's going to be the best for them what's going to be the best for their family, what's going to be the best for their community. And I really want them to develop their own style of thinking. And yeah, um, yeah I really think it's important as opposed to just telling them what to do. I don't, I'm not a big believer in that. You know, as a leader, I'm trying to instill these leadership qualities into them so that they can Definitely. do this over and over again for, for generation. Um, but anyway, I do want to morph into, and I, I don't want to take so much of your time, but I want to, I want to really talk about how you got with Candace Owens. How is your relationship with her? And um, how is it impacting the way that you behave and how is it impacting the way that you live now? Yeah, this has been a really crazy ride, the way that I even got this job. Um, but I'll start by saying that Candace is the person who red-pilled me. She was my first red pill. I will never, ever forget it. It was in 2017. Um, I mean, before that, though, I mean, I, I will say that before I watched that interview that she did with Dave Rubin, I was getting a little bit more open to things. Like my mm -hmm. friend just suggested, hey, you know what? I think you should watch an entire speech of Trump's from start to finish. Don't watch the edited versions. Don't watch the news network. Just watch a speech. And I watched it. And then I said to myself, they're definitely lying to us. The media is lying to us. This Trump is not the person that they're saying he is, right? I knew there was something else happening. But then I watched Candace's interview on the Rubin Report in 2017. And I don't know if you know her story. I highly recommend everyone to watch that interview. It was, it's her first interview on the Rubin Report because she explains. I'll link to it on the show notes. 
Yeah, it's 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 just such a good episode because what does she explain? Sorry, she explains how she was how she was red pilled. Like she was, it's such a long story, but she was creating some sort of like anti bullying campaign, and then basically got contacted by this girl who had an entirely fake story, and then it revealed all. It just revealed a bunch of stuff of how there's a lot of corruption in media, and how there are a lot of powerful people actually pulling the strings and playing the game. Mm And that's how she started to really wake up and, and see things differently. And when I watched that interview, my jaw dropped lower and lower and lower. I was like, oh my gosh. And then from that moment, I started researching and reading. And over the next two years, I stayed very quiet. I didn't, I, I, I deleted my old Twitter account. I, I didn't want to like be out there yet before I had really developed my own ideas. So I spent two years watching a ton of speeches and videos, reading a ton of books. I watched a whole lot of Jordan Peterson. I watched a lot of Victor Davis Hanson, who is an incredibly brilliant farmer from California, who is just like one of the most brilliant professors that I think exists today. Um, I watched a lot of videos of Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens on campuses and college campuses. And I, I was just reading book after book about American history and learning more about capitalism and the free market. And I got to the point where I was just fully red pills. And Candace was that person for me. She was like that person. I followed every move of her on Instagram and Twitter. And I, would, I watched her grow and I watched her get discovered by Kanye. Like I was, I was a huge fan of Candace before she was even discovered by Kanye. And that's when she really blew up is when Kanye put her on the radar even more. Um, so, you know, I was watching a lot of her videos. I was in San Francisco. I knew I wanted to leave San Francisco. I knew I wanted to get out of fitness full time, maybe do a little bit something different. And I had watched her new podcast that came out a year ago. So it came out in January, 2019. And I watched the first half of that year. I watched every single one of her episodes. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, there's nobody on her show talking about health and body positivity. And I was like, I know, Can- I know everything Candace stands for. I bet you she'd be interested if I reached out and I was like, hey, let's talk about the dangers of body positivity. So I, <laughs> I guessed her email. <laughs> I <Whoa>. went through, <laughs> I guessed what her email was. Talk I went through fate. every one of the possible combinations. I sat on my computer for half an hour. I'm like, I'm going to get this email to her. And I sent one out and it didn't get a bounce back. So I was like, all right, fingers crossed. And the email, I just said, hi, Candace, you don't know me. I'm a trainer in San Francisco. I'm a huge fan of you. You red pulled me. I think we should talk on your show about the dangers of body positivity and how obesity is the number one killer of Americans today. Two months later, her assistant emails me and her assistant says, hey, Gina, we want to have you on the show. And I was like shocked. I was stunned. This was September of last year of 2019. And I was like, okay, sure. And so PragerU organizes, they fly me down. I go to PragerU and I've been watching all the PragerU videos. So I was like wow. you know, meeting all the producers and stuff. And it was such a surreal experience. I felt like, you know, I was meeting some of the most influential people in my world. Yeah. And then I met Candace and she and I just sort of like hit it off. We were talking a lot before the show. We were, you know, I was talking to her how we're not happy with San Francisco. Adriano was with me. He met her too. And then the episode went really great. And Candace, it's funny because Candace was telling me that before she and I filmed together, she was kind of running into an issue where it was really hard for her to find um, women to come on the show who had strong voices and weren't and weren't too nervous to talk for a full mm-hmm, hour straight. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so she said, they just kind of like threw me in as a wild card. They had never seen any of my interviews. They just were like, let's just try this girl and see how it goes. Nice. And the CEO of PragerU, her name is Marissa. She really ended up liking that episode. She was watching it backstage, loved it. Candace and I just had a really nice rapport. Like we yeah. had a nice back and forth. Um, we're born like 
two or three months apart. So I think Candace and I have kind of similar personalities. Nice. So I think her, I hugged her, gave her a little gift, went on my merry way. A week later, she emailed me and she says, hey, what are you doing? Because I'm, I'm looking to hire a manager, uh, sort of like a higher level uh, manager who can help me manage my life, like sort of like an above an assistant. She was like, are you interested? Because I think that, you know, you'd be a great fit. And when I got that email, I didn't tell anybody about it for 24 hours because I almost said no, Danny. Really? I almost said no. And the reason I almost said no is because I was in a position where I was trying to build up my own brand to the point where I was like, you know, I wanted to be like one foot in health and fitness. I wanted to have one foot in the media world where I would really like talk to young women about the dangers of buying into this mm -hmm. modern feminist leftist mm -hmm. ideology, talk mm -hmm. to young people about the dangers of getting caught up in media mm -hmm. and, um, and you know, the, the, the certain lifestyle that's promoted now in America. And I, I almost had this moment of pride where I was like, I need a manager. I'm not going to be Candace Owens manager. And I woke up the next day feeling so foolish because I, I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, you idiot, you are about to throw away the biggest opportunity of your life. Hey. I mean, Candace was my hero. She was like my online hero. And I looked at Adriano and I was like, do you want to move to DC? <laughs> wow. And, what, and, a, what a good he, husband moved, huh? <laughs> and he was like, you know what? If that's where life takes us is where we have to go. So I said yes to her. And then two months later, we were packing up everything. We moved to DC. And it's just, it's been such a surreal experience because the Candace Owens that people don't know, she is hilarious. She might be the funniest person I've ever met. She's so kind. She's so generous. She was so generous to me when we moved to DC. She's like, help me get settled. And she's just such a great person to work for. And now I'm meeting all the people that I used to revere watching online, you know, like, you know, meeting Dave Rubin and, and meeting all the PragerU people. Um, yeah. And, and just being in touch with this network, meeting Larry Elder and Dinesh D'Souza, like these heavy hitters that, yeah. just, that helped red pill me. And Larry Elder is just like the nicest man on planet earth. And the, the, the career, the job has just been such a wild ride so far, but yeah. I can't believe it all started with the cold email, which is why I tell everybody, if you have something that you want to sell to someone, don't let anything stop you. Like guess the email, go to the office, show Beautiful. up, like show the fuck up because that's what really lands you those wild those wild things in the end. That's the most beautiful story ever. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Candace and Charlie Kirk and Dave Rubin. I feel like these guys are like our generation, the future of politics. And, yeah. you know, uh, like I said, I it took a freaking pandemic for me to be like, what is right? What is left? How do I feel? I always like identified as a libertarian because I always thought I had progressive ideologies and I always felt like I want inclusion for everybody and I want everyone to feel a part of this this thing because I think that's important too but then again like like I told you my story like I now I, f I discovered myself this free market and I'm making my own lane and I'm having an effect on people and I'm understanding what this country is and how we can how lucky we are how fucking grateful we are you know and um I think what you're doing is great and the people that you're involved with now is the future. Um, do you feel like Dennis Prager is going to be running for president after the next election? I, I haven't heard anything about that. I don't think so. Um, I, you know, I do worry though, what's going to happen in 2024 because I just, I don't know of anyone who's great and really ready for the role. You know what I mean? Well, let's worry about this one first. I know. <laughs> let's worry about 2020 first. Yeah. Um, so we've been at this now just a little bit underneath an hour, just about an hour. Um, 
I do you, do you have time? I mean, I have I time. Know. Yeah, sure. You have yeah. time because I got some questions here. Um, yeah, of so, so what do you think is going to happen in November? Um, I've gone back and forth on this a lot, especially I was feeling pretty confident that Trump was going to win before the George, George Floyd protests and riots. Mm -hmm. And then there was a while during the next couple months where I was like, why isn't he doing anything to stop this chaos? What's going on? I think people are gonna be disappointed, but now I'm at a point where I, I do think that Trump is going to win again. Um, I do think that we're going to be set with him for another four years. I just, the sheer fact that Joe Biden is in such cognitive decline mm. and like, let's put aside the politics for a second. This is an elderly man who should not be put in those positions because his mind is just not ready for it. Right. Um, and I think Kamala Harris as the pick was such a joke, especially after, you know, the accusations of Biden being a racist segregationist, like, and now all of a sudden she's run, you know, it's, it's just such a joke. Yeah. And I think a lot of Americans are really seeing through that. And I think there are a lot of Americans who don't want Biden. They don't want an old man like that in office because like, he's probably going to croak in the first term, you know? How do you feel about people say, I will, I'll vote for Biden because I don't want Trump. But then, yeah, like I mean, I think that's, stupid to be honest but that's just because my beliefs like look i'm not i haven't been exactly pleased with trump this year i think there's been a lot of things that he shouldn't have listened to his advisors on i really think that um i think that trump has a gut that's trustworthy i think that he is a, a shrewd businessman and that he can make good decisions um you know there's a lot of stuff that i was really happy about i was i was really happy about low unemployment rates i loved the fact that we saw the lowest black unemployment lowest hispanic unemployment ever recorded um you know he brought so many jobs back i love the fact that he said no to the green new deal out of the paris deal all that i love that he got us um you know out of the iran deal i like a lot of his foreign policy um, because he's actually not that conservative. Like Trump is not a guy who wants war. That's you know, what people say that he's not like a real Republican. Yeah, he's really not. Trump is actually quite liberal. I mean, he has Ivanka in his White House planning like um, demand parent parental leave. You know, mm. and, which is like, I, I just, I mean, I'm not. I'm now I know that. nothing about foreign policy. So can you maybe talk to me a little bit about like why we got out of those deals and, yeah, and so why that's I'll, beneficial? I'll, like a, a quick overview of the Iran deal is that, I mean, this is something that people don't like to talk about with Obama, but he really screwed us over. He, he gave Iran like millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, knowing that their regime was torturing people and killing people at an alarming rate. And mm. he would just keep pandering to the Middle East, to these regimes that were evil and terrorists. Mm. You know, this isn't just something that's like, oh, they're kind of bad people. I mean, these are raging terrorists that behead people over there and that raid Christian um, Christian areas. And they literally want America to be finished and killed and done forever. And Obama was just giving them money, giving them money, just trying to appease them. And I really like that Trump, he put down a foot and he says, no more. He says, I'm getting out of that mm, deal. No way. Okay. And another really big thing is, um, you know, the green new deal. Like I, we don't want all of those socialist, uh, all the socialist policies, like under the green new deal, we were talking about, you know, giving tons of money for parental leave. And it's like, that's not what most Americans want. Like we want a smaller government. We don't want a lot of bureaucracy. And that's something that Trump is very supportive of too. Like he likes that idea of a smaller government. Now he can't really do as much as he wanted to probably. And I think that's why he ran into a lot of trouble this year. But I do like that Trump is very strong on foreign policy. And I do like the fact that he went to North Korea and he met with Kim Jong-un. He was the first president to do that. I mean, he was able to cross the border. And I think that due to his experience as a businessman and I think him not being a politician is a really is a really really big benefit for us because he was able to make that deal he was able to de-escalate with North mm. Korea and I think that's that's really important because North Korea is a huge threat very interesting 
Um, do you feel that behind the scenes, there's something other than Trump and Biden orchestrating things? And when people do talk about, when people do talk about a deep state and like, no, it's a farce, like there's something else above him and all these other politicians, because politicians come and go every four, eight years, there's new people in and out. And talk to me about what you feel like is behind the scenes. Yeah. So that's a great question. And I'll start by posing this question as, is that why do you think the media hates Trump so much? Because I'm not even a person when he got elected, I wasn't a pro Trump person. I I thought he was a bit ridiculous to be honest, but um, why we have to ask ourselves the question, like any person with a brain can look at what what the media says about Trump. And you kind of have to ask yourself, why is it that all the rappers say that Trump is racist now when 10 years ago they were rapping about how dope he was, you know, like all these little things, especially in, in Hollywood and culture too. Like people used to talk so well about Donald Trump and in, in Hollywood and the media, they used to love him. But we have to ask the question, why is it now that the media hates him all of a sudden? And that answer always inevitably brings me to the deep state because the deep state is what actually controls these news corporations. The mm. deep state is actually at the end of the day, that's who these corporations answer to is the very, 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 very powerful. I'm talking about the kind of wealth that you and I could never even imagine. They really yeah. pull the strings. They control everything. The most, the richest families in the world, the Vanderbilts, the Rothschilds, the, the Soros family. Mm-hmm. Like these are the richest people in the world that own the CDC. They run the CDC. They run a lot of the bu- bureaucracy behind the scenes and they are the ones who control everything. So the reason that everyone hated Trump so much is that because he's not a politician. He can't be controlled. He's yeah. financially independent. So you can't buy him, which is why the media went full on attack against him as soon as he started running for president, because they realized that a person that can't be controlled by the deep state is a very, very big threat. Mm. And, and Obama was most certainly part of the deep state, as are the Clintons. Like they, Obama and Clinton, that's not the last people on the totem pole. They have more people to answer to, the people who really control everything, the, the mega billionaires. And I think that's why it's, it's really important to kind of just take a step back at the media and see how they're talking about Trump. It will really make you realize why they hate him so much. But and the deep state is what, it's, it's what controls everything. Right. And of course, I mean, I'm sure you've also heard that, I don't know if this is true, but I'm looking more into it and I'm almost believing it's true, this... Um, this child pedophilia ring that is in Hollywood and the deep state and that is, you know, involved in with some of the most powerful people. And, um, and I think that's really starting to be uncovered with Jeffrey Epstein's suicide. Um, I don't know if you were watching the, the Ghislaine Maxwell documents being released where it explicitly named Bill Clinton as someone who's been on pedo Island, participated in orgies with young girls, underage girls, so now that we're seeing more and more, and I really do think that Trump has a hand in trying to at least uncover some of this stuff. Um, and I know this is not popular opinion, but I really do think that Trump is a patriot who loves America and he doesn't like to see America being controlled by a deep state, which yeah. is why he's in office in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And that is uh, what caught my eye. It's like, why, why do you think the media is saying all this negative stuff, you know, yeah, and putting all now. this and putting all this uh you know, negative type of um, display for people to see so that they can have this, you know, ideology that he is a racist, he is a pig. And even though they do catch him in some really bad, really bad things that he says, and it's just like, you're, you're not, you're not helping yourself here, man. (laughs) Yeah, I know. You know, it's like, what the fuck? Are you really trying to like, (laughs) 
are you really trying to stop the deep state from overtaking everything or like what the fuck dude stop, <laughs> stop saying some stupid shit they're gonna get like like how do you get the people that are not far left but like liberal libertarian somebody yeah. kind of like me that's like oh, okay well i don't want this tyrannical deep state to control shit i want someone like like you who's got a connection with you know people all over the world that we could you know work together and make this work but you know it's just like fuck i, I can't say that i'm gonna vote for trump and then people are like what danny you you're gonna vote for this pig blah, blah, blah. like i don't know i don't know i just i'm trying to think here and people say if you don't vote then shame on you for throwing away your right but then when you do vote you get ridiculed one way or the other it's like yeah. all right like what? Well, what do we do now? Do you feel like Trump is a part of that deep state, or maybe has played a, a you know, is a member of that? Obviously, being a, a bajillionaire himself, um, now as the role of the president, do you feel like he has has been part of that that group? I I don't. I don't think that he ever was. I think he brushed shoulders a lot. I mean, there's even, you know, there's even evidence of him brushing shoulders with Jeffrey Epstein until Mm -hmm. he learned that he was charged with child pedophilia and then banned him from Mar-a-Lago and places like that. But there's no question that Trump has rubbed shoulders with some of the most powerful people in the world. Um, Now, whether he's been a part of deep state, I really just don't think that he has been because I think that that's one of the reasons why they hate him is because he's just, he's not a part of the swamp Yeah, and, and you really can't control control him. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think he was, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that Trump is like the ultimate American hero, but in many ways I do believe that what he's doing is, you know, exposing the bureaucracy, really yeah. talking about these useless, pol- like what has Joe Biden done all these years as a Senator? Like what, what have you done? What has Hillary done? You know, these people have done nothing. And I think that Trump was the person that we needed to recognize that we don't want these politicians running the world anymore. We don't want these greedy politicians. Yeah. Think about it this way. And I always use this example. Barack Obama, he went into the presidency with student debt and he left a millionaire. Donald Trump walked into the president as a millionaire already and donated his entire salary. Like he donates all of his salary. You know, just even that difference is like, you've got these politicians who become politicians for money because it's a career. And then you've got someone like Trump who had his life set. The guy's a million. He could have just retired, played yeah. golf every day, chilled. Yeah. And yet he still chose to enter into public service. And there's no, there's nothing that you'll ever be able to say that will convince me that Trump didn't go in there and, and think of this as public service. Like I really do believe that he did. Um, but yeah, but like you said, he does say some funky stuff along the way. I'm like, why don't? There was one interview he did lately with Axios, I think, where they were talking about, I think it was John Lewis's death. And I'm like, don't say that. Don't say that. You know, sometimes it just makes me cringe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Those are really good points. You know, I, I, I really appreciate that. And you really explained a lot of things nicely for me to understand. And the one, que- the, que- uh, the one question I want to end with is one thing that kind of push is pushing me more towards um, the right uh, spectrum, political spectrum is that, uh, you know, my connection to God and source and spirit over this journey. Um, what is your take on God? What and this is how I want to end it. So what's your philosophy on God, capital G-O-D, your religious background? How do you practice? How does it, um, how does it impact the way you think and behave? And what, I guess, what is God to you? Yeah. Um, this is such a great question. Like I told you earlier, I grew up Christian, but then when I was in college, I, I, I said I was an atheist for yeah. probably several years in my twenties. Um, yeah. I came back to my faith in the last year, just the last year or two. And, um, 
And that happened at the same time as I was sort of being red pilled. And the last year, so much has changed in my life. And I think I attribute a lot of that to the fact that I, I do recognize God. I, I, so, I consider myself Christian today. Mm. Um, I grew up as a Protestant Christian. I've been a little bit more interested in the Catholic faith lately. Before the shutdown, I was going to a Catholic church around the corner a lot and just asking a lot of people questions about the Catholic church. Um, because I know that there's been a lot of things that I've heard that are completely false about the church. And I'm, I'm really looking to uncover some truth. And I, I consider myself a Christian today. And I'll say this, what Christianity has really offered me more than anything when it comes to my viewpoint on the world is that there is an objective right and wrong. There is a, there are clear boundaries. There is a black and a white when it comes to what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. And people will misinterpret, misinterpret that as a very closed minded way of living. Like they think that a black and white and a sort of yes and no right and wrong way of living is almost going to trap you in and make you feel like you can't live freely. Mm -hmm. I've actually found the opposite. I think there is so much freedom and recognizing who your higher power is. I think there's so much freedom in recognizing the immense gifts that God gave us, this immense, immensely beautiful life that God gave us. He didn't have to do that. And, yeah. and I think the more that we connect with God and the more that we understand that God created this for us, like that we all have a purpose. And, and the thing that actually gives us freedom is knowing boundaries, like knowing what's right and what's wrong, knowing that it is wrong to murder somebody, knowing that it is wrong. I mean, to me, it is wrong to kill a child in the womb. And, and knowing that makes it so much easier to see the world and to understand the world. It's just like, I think about it this way. It's like children and studies have shown this too. Children perform much better in disciplined households. Children will outshine their peers in terms of social skills, academic performance. They'll earn higher paying jobs. They'll have more stability in their life if they grew up with parents who um, were a bit stricter and they had clear boundaries at home. Children really thrive on that, knowing what's Order. right and what's wrong. And I think the humans do too. I think sure. that deep down inside every human, we are all spiritual religious beings that are searching for meaning. Mm. I, I sort of see the world in the Viktor Frankl um, framework, like it's man's search for meaning. And I think that that's what drives us all. You have some other models of meaning, like you have some um, you know, there's also the model of motivation. They think that motivation um, really get thrives, gets you humans to thrive. And then you have some other things like sex and powers, what humans thrive off of. Well, I come from the mindset that I think every human is in search of meaning rather than, mm -hmm. than in search of sex, in search of power, in search of motivation. I think we're always in search of meaning. And, and really recognizing that and connecting with that um, has been really influential for me because I've gotten to reconnect with the Lord. And, you know, I read scripture every day and it's, it's put me on a path that is so much clearer. And when I was wandering around the world as an intersectional feminist who swore off marriage and swore that the patriarchy was evil, and you know I was so pro-choice even to the final trimester, and, and I was wandering and I was lost, and I think back to what I felt back then, I was so lonely, and I felt so lost from, from family and from friends and mm. from a higher power. Mm. And this is why I always tell young girls, if you want to go off and live that lifestyle that our society tells you to live, you are going to end up with so much pain and suffering. Like I get emotional about it now just talking about it. Yeah. Like I look, There's so much pain and suffering from rejecting God and from rejecting that there is an objective morality in this world. And so I always tell young, young people, like it sounds counterintuitive, but knowing what your boundaries are and knowing what's right and wrong is going to be the very thing that steers you correctly in life. Yeah. And we're in this, we live in this culture where um, we, we put too much emphasis on freedom. 
And we put too much emphasis on individual, like I'm just going to be free and do whatever I want. Marriage is a, is a, is a chain. Marriage is going to hold me back. Having children is going to hold me back from doing yeah. what I want to do in life. Well, I've gotten to the point now where I, like Jordan Peterson said this, he says, the most rewarding things in life take the most sacrifice mm-hmm. and that's family and that's faith and yeah. that's really, you know, really fighting for our country and for American ideals. And so the more that I've gotten closer to God again, the more it's really steered me in a direction where I feel like I'm much more steady and, yeah. and I feel much more secure. I mean, even if some things in my life are crazy right now, I just feel so much secure than I ever did before. And that's something that I really want to pass on to the younger generation is that especially kids before they go to college, they go to church a lot with their family, but then when they go off to school, it just fades away. And I always tell kids, Make the, make the time to go on Sunday morning. Make the time to be with people who believe in the same things as you do. And that's really going to steer you in the right direction. Well said. Wow. Powerful. Uh, Gina Florio, uh, this has been such a pleasure. I hope that we can do this again because there's so many things that we can talk about that we didn't even touch on, like the Edo Portal method and how you turned me on to that. And fuck, like I started thinking so, so much. much about that. We got to do this again. We got to do this again. Of course. Anytime, Danny, I really appreciate your time. Oh, hell yeah. Likewise, man. This was so much fun. Uh, Gina, tell everybody where they can find you and follow your information. Sure. On Instagram, you can find me at GM Florio on Twitter. I'm Florio Gina. That's F L O R I O G I N A. And then you can find my website, gmflorio.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks, Danny. And that was the podcast, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Gina Florio. If you like what you heard today, make sure to check out Gina on Instagram at GM Florio. High level movement, high level information. That's it, everybody. Make sure to check out the Instagram at Danny Cola Fitness and let's connect in the DMs. If you like what you heard, share the podcast with somebody you love. And that's it, everybody. Peace.